visit and to share uh, was before even the front steps were enclosed. He thought, thought it was 1998 or 1999, and so it was fun to mention what we were doing now. And uh, they've seen quite a bit of change here, and yet still the Lord willing, the same faithfulness to the gospel. And so we're glad to have Norm with us. So, Norm, if you would, please come and share. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you want to go ahead and turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. That's where we spending our time this morning. It's good to be with you. We were back on a short furlough last year and did not uh, get to make it by here. So during Sunday school, I have to give you a double report. So you have kind of have the report from the last term in Japan, but then also kind of where we're at now. Uh, the, the short version of where we're at now, for those of you who haven't heard, my wife's uh, mother broke her hip two weeks ago and her ankle, which makes rehab fun. Um, we came back to take care of her. So she has the start of dementia, uh, and then this fall kind of complicated things too. So you can pray for Susan as she's kind of in the middle between mom and siblings and figuring out what next steps are. But we're back to take care of her. We did leave things in Japan where we have a five-year window. We can go back and maintain permanent residency. So we can go back really quickly uh, once we're able to. So that's what we're praying toward, and we're trying to um, keep things here in such a way that we can leave quickly when, when the, the time is right. So pray for us as we look for God's direction going forward, and we'll give more report in Sunday school. Well, today we're looking at Daniel chapter 3. This is a very familiar passage, I'm sure. And really, what this passage is about and what we're going to focus on this morning is faith. And one of the things that Susan and I have been talking a lot about in this last few months is faith. You know, we're learning a lot of lessons. It's interesting how God never lets us get to that point where you're just like, okay, you're done. You don't have to learn anymore. We always have the opportunity to continue to learn more. And today, I don't typically title messages, but if I had a title for the message today, it would be from what would be the key verse. It's from verse 18, which starts out with three words, but if not. So we're going to come back there in a minute, but let's go ahead and read all of Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. I don't know about you when I read this, I just think, man, government, they just, man, it gets three miles deep, doesn't it? Um, they apparently loved government just as much as we do. To come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, to you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down 
and worship the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews among uh, whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? It's an important question. We'll come back to it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. God, this morning, 
as we read this familiar story, we're reminded again of the faith of three men. When confronted with what in their minds had to be almost certain death, they trusted you. And their testimony has been a light uh, in the century since. God, you have been proclaimed as great in their lives. And this morning, as we look to you, the God who delivers, we ask that you would be proclaimed as great in our lives. This morning, we worship you. So we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at this, There was no doubt in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's mind what the penalty was. It was very clear. It had been published, and then it was told them in person. So when it comes down to verse 15, and Nebuchadnezzar asked them this really important question, who is the God who would deliver you? They realized there was a real need. There was something to be delivered from. It wasn't a, a theoretical problem. It was right in front of them. Probably they were close enough to feel the heat when he asked this question. Who is the God who would deliver you? Well, I want to ask us to, to remember this morning that that's a question that we have to answer. And it's a question that the world is asking us. You know, you have people that are watching you. If you claim to be a Christian in the world today, you have people that are watching you. And they're looking at you. They see the struggles that you go through. They see the struggles that all of us go through. And they're asking that question, who is the God who delivers? Who is the God who delivers? It's an important question. And for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think one of the things we have to recognize is that they didn't answer the question that day. It wasn't that Nebuchadnezzar asked that question and they said, we should think about that. <laughs> We'll get back to you. They had already decided. They already knew the God who delivers. They knew him personally. They had faith in him. They knew what he was capable of. So when they were asked the question, they didn't have to stop and think about it. I think the answer was quick to come out of their mouth. We have no need to answer you this. King, our God, whom we serve, is able. Full stop period. He's able. When we consider our lives and our relationship with God, one of the questions that we have to answer is, do we really understand that God is able? Have you answered that question? Do you hold that firmly in your mind? You're going to face trials and troubles in this life. That is a given. You might not face a fiery furnace, but you will face trials. You need to answer before they come, is God able? Do I trust that God is able? Am I going to follow him? They had already trusted him. They had absolute faith in God's ability. And a lot of that faith comes from understanding God as he has revealed himself in the past. It's one of the reasons why over and over again, we continually remind each other of what God has done. Think of how many times, if we had time, we could go through the Old Testament and just over and over and over again, you hear this phrase, remember. Remember. Remember what God has done. And so we need to know from God's word what God has done, but it's also good to refresh 
our minds on what God has done in our life, in our spiritual father's life, in this life. We have had people that have invested in us, and we hear the stories of what God has done in their life. And we need to remember that too. God is able. We need to remember that. So in verse 17, it says, our God, whom we serve, is able. But it goes on, it says, and he will deliver us from your hands. Now, it's interesting because of what's not said. He doesn't say God's going to deliver us from the furnace. I think they understood that they could die there today. But you know, that's deliverance from King Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's very much what Paul said when he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's like, you can put us in the furnace, but that's good for us. We go and meet our God. God delivers us from you when you put us in the furnace. We're delivered either way. God can do a miracle and show you that he is able to deliver us physically from this furnace, or God delivers us from your hands, and we're out of your power. God will deliver us one way or another. And ultimately for us, as we recognize that in this life we're going to have troubles, but deliverance will come. Our hope, the hope that we have as followers of Christ, is anchored in the truth that one day we will be delivered from every trial. We'll stand before Christ perfected. Our hope is in what Christ has accomplished in the resurrection, the hope that we have of deliverance of deliverance, not just from the power of sin, but from the presence of sin in our life. God is willing to deliver. So they had faith in God's willingness, and we have to have faith in God's willingness to deliver. But there's a a little side note we have to understand here that I think is important for us. What Jesus promises us is that if you have to go through the trial... You will not go through it alone. If you have to go through the trial, he promises to walk with you. When he promised never to leave you or forsake you, that's a promise to walk through every trial in this life with you. So you may have to go through that trial, but you don't go through it alone. God is able and God is willing to deliver. But then we get down to verse 18. And they understood something really important. God doesn't always deliver us from the trials on this earth at the time we want them to in the way that we want them to. You know, we pray for deliverance, and God promises to deliver, and he's willing to deliver. He's able to deliver. But what God is doing in the world today is not trying to make your life and every day in your life, as good as it can possibly be. He's doing something bigger than my life or your life. And sometimes that requires us to go through the trial. So they understood that, which is why they have those three words there that are so important. But if not. And this is really where our faith, where the rubber meets the road. You know, if if God, every time you face a trial... God absolutely removed that trial from your life. I mean, you'd have some pretty awesome faith. But it's a different quality of faith than the faith that says, God, 
if you do not remove this trial, I'll still follow you. There's a difference there. Because the one never faces trouble. The one never has the question, is there something bigger than me? But if not, if you have that that trial coming and you don't know what's on the other side, how do you respond to God then? I think that's important because every one of us will reach that in this lifetime, probably multiple times. You know, for Susan and I, it's been interesting this last, this whole year, uh, you know, we left for Japan 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago now. And when we went, it was very easy. You know, we were, we were poor. We had one little girl. We had nothing of value in this world except that little girl. So when we packed up to move to Japan, I said, well, we don't really have to carry anything. We don't have anything that's worth the cost of shipping. So it was easy to go to Japan. Now, we've been in Japan for 20 years. And when we got married, Susan and I, uh, I had moved from the south, I'm from Alabama, to Iowa. So I'd only been in Iowa for a few years. I didn't have a, a huge support base, lots of people that I knew. I had a few people I'd known for now for a few years, and I knew my wife. So it wasn't like I was leaving home, and I'd already done that. Susan's from Wisconsin, so she had come to Iowa. Same thing. We were leaving a place where, yes, we had a home church and family and friends, but it wasn't like we'd been there for the last 40 years. We'll go, go to Japan, and we've been in, in Kumoto in the same prefecture, working with the same people for most of that time. Several years ago, we got started thinking, you know, if at all possible, if God will allow us, we're going to stay the rest of our life in Japan. So we started looking. We bought a house like 10 years ago. It's outside of town, and it was, you know, long story how God gave us a great place, really cheap. Um, we had a lot of sweat equity, but not a lot of money. <laughs> well, we had a house that we loved, and we loved our neighbors. We had a church family, more than one church family that we loved, and people that were unbelievers that we care for, that we've been building relationships with for years. Now we have three kids who have grown up in Japan, this is home. So when we said, now, we need to go back and take care of Grandma, and we don't know if we'll ever make it back to Japan. Because we have a little window. We didn't know how big that was when we first came back. We know more now, and I'll, I'll give you more of a report later. But when we first came back, uh, March 1st, we thought we're quite probably leaving and never, never be able to return. That was hard. So when I told our kids, Chloe and Melody were both in tears. Now, this is hard. What's on the other side? We don't know. What do we do when we don't know? When the trial is very real, how is your faith then? when it doesn't look like God is going to deliver you, when your faith has to say, but if not. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't, didn't hesitate to answer that. They had already answered that. They said, but if not, if God does not deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. There is one God. Whether he chooses to deliver us from the fiery furnace or not, we will not serve false gods. It's decided. They're committed. There's no plan B. They understood that deliverance from the trial is not always God's highest goal. You know, in John 16, it says we're, we're warned that we will have tribulation in this world. That's something as a follower of, of Christ we have to understand. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. The question is, how will you respond to them? You know, God is working out an eternal plan, an eternal purpose, preparing us for an eternal fellowship. He's making each one of us in the image of Christ, and the trials are one of the ways that he does that. When you go through a trial and God goes through that with you, I think we recognize, usually in hindsight, not in the middle, in hindsight, we see how God grew us through it. Now, the challenge is to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who realize going into this, I'm sticking with God. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to waver. I'm going to follow him. Now, for us, at least maybe this is just me, often face the trial and waver quite a bit. And when you look back and you go, wow, God did some amazing things in that. It's too bad I wasn't really looking when we were going in the middle. <laughs> maybe, maybe it would have been easier or better. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood God's doing something in our life, through our life. They didn't know what it was, but they knew when, when Nebuchadnezzar asked that question, who is the God who would deliver you? They knew who he was, and they were quick to respond. And it's the end of the story we can see. Nebuchadnezzar understands that. In verse 29, he says, There is no other God who can deliver like this. That's the end of the story for all of us. There is no other God who can deliver like God. And... We may not recognize that until we stand before him and see what he has accomplished with our lives. Because we, you know, we see only part now. And unfortunately, even though as we read God's word, we recognize that we should not be prideful. We should learn to be uh, humble. We should learn to uh, see the world from God's perspective. Ultimately, we see kind of ourselves as very near the center of our, our whole life story. Instead of Jesus at the center. We kind of put ourselves there. But when we get to the end of our life and we see all that God is doing in us, through us, around us, 
we see the end of the story, I think we'll say exactly what Nebuchadnezzar said. There is no other God who can deliver like this. The things that God is doing in your life, when he brings them to completion at the end, will be worth it. Even though it requires us to go through some of the trials in the meantime. You know, we can go through our trials and we can do what Peter did in John 21, 21. Peter asked, what about him? You know, often we look at other people and say, well, their trials don't seem to be as bad as ours. What, what about them? What did Jesus say? You follow me. All of our paths are not the same. In, in Acts 2 we have a story where Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. And he preaches the truth. And as far as we can tell, he was obedient to God's word. He preached the message clearly and God blessed. Wow, that's what's supposed to happen when you preach. When you preach the truth, I mean, you're supposed to see that kind of effect. What happens in Acts chapter 7? Stephen preached. I think his message was just as good. Maybe better. What happened to Stephen? The results weren't the same. I, I think when you stand them side by side, you'd have to say, man, they both had faith. They both believed that God was able and God was willing. I, I believe God was with them both. But the results were different. And I don't believe that when Timothy made it to see Jesus face to face, that the first thing he said was, but what about Peter? I don't think he was asking that. We all have our own path. We're, we're going to have different trials, different temptations. Well, we have to learn that faith, what real faith is, is understanding God has a purpose and a work in every situation, and it's different from situation to situation, from person to person. I need to learn to trust him. God is sovereign in every situation. You know, I think Job understood this. He said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. God's doing something bigger. And when Nebuchadnezzar asked that question in verse 15, who is the God who will deliver you? I challenge you that the world is looking at your life and is asking that question. Who is the God that you follow? Who is the God that you think is going to deliver you? Your life is the answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood there, refused to bow, that's part of the answer. But it wasn't just in their actions, it's also in their words. Their life as a whole, their attitude, their actions, and their words united to be a tremendous testimony that God is, God is able, and God is willing. He is the God who will deliver. Your life is the answer to that question. When the world is asking, who is the God? Who can deliver? 
What does your life say? My fear is that many times, for many of us, our life says, I'm not sure. I, I think God can deliver. I hope God can deliver. But I'm not sure. What does your life say? My prayer is that it says what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. God is able. God is willing. But if not, like Job, like Stephen, I'll still follow him. God's goal for us is righteousness, holiness, godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 15, Paul challenged Timothy to pursue these things so that others would see our progress. I think it's in pursuing that life in Christ that we develop that boldness and confidence to say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God is able. This morning, you know, as we close, consider that message of your life. Maybe you're in a trial now. I know we certainly feel like we're in a, a never-ending trial at the moment with Susan's mom and coming back and uncertainty about the future. We recognize that God is able and God is willing. But if he doesn't deliver us from this trial, we know that he will walk with us through this trial. And that he will be glorified in this trial. It's my prayer for you as you walk through whatever trial that you face or that you will face. That you have that hope firmly in hand. Know that one day you will see him face to face. And I believe if we, if we really care about any individual trial, and I, I won't share it today uh, for the sake of time, but... Um, many of you who have been here for a long time know when we were on pre-field, our first child died. Okay, that was a trial. We learned a lot of lessons from that. And one of the things that came out of that as a whole was Susan and I, as we prayed through and worked through this in our life, we said, you know, if, I really believe that God was doing something in our life, through that child's life. And we have some stories of things that God did, so we know some of what God was doing, but I really believe if we stood before God at the end of our life and said, God, why did that happen? And we heard the answer of all that God did through that, that we'd go, wow, that, you're right, that was the best thing that could have happened for the glory of God. We would agree with God that that was the right thing. I think in every trial, that's the case. You will have trials where you don't understand why. You don't see what God's doing. But when you reach that day and you stand before him, if you still care and you ask him and you get the answer, I believe you'll be satisfied. And what faith is, is saying I don't have the answer today, but I absolutely know that I will be satisfied. So I'm going to live as if I had the answer and we're satisfied already. I'm going to be satisfied 
in Christ without the answer. That's faith. That's hope in the finished work of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, would you just thank you again for the opportunity we have to be challenged by the faith of men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Faith like Paul, Peter, Stephen, Job. Lord, you've given us so many examples of, of men who, who trusted you in the midst of incredible trials. God, I pray this morning as we examine our life and we look at the world around us, and we, we see that The world needs men and women who have that kind of faith today, who recognize that we will struggle. We will face trials, afflictions, persecutions. But you will walk through them with us. Often you deliver us. And I don't know how many times you deliver us from trials we're not even aware of, potential trials, potential struggles that... You don't allow to come our way because it's not the right time or we're not ready. But when they come, and we must walk through them, we don't walk through them alone. I thank you for the work you're doing in each one of us to to complete us, that great work of sanctification. God, I pray that we would pray as Paul prayed, that we would proclaim your name boldly and give thanks, and go away rejoicing every day, no matter what trial we go through. Please we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm reminded of Romans 8, 28 and 29, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, in order that he might be the first mortal among many brothers. The trials, the difficult things God is using to make us more like Christ. We may not see that, as Norm said, right away. It may be a few years. It may even be on the other side of glory. But we know that God's at work, and so let us continue to trust him. It's a reminder that we'll be hearing more from uh, Norm during Sunday school, giving an update on life and ministry. So please stick around for that. And at 9.15, in about 10 minutes, we'll be back up here to have a brief business meeting about the windows and Lord willing, move forward with that. So you are dismissed to our fellow.